When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Actors, we've all got issues, so let's talk about them. I'm your host, Juaniala, and this is Actors with Issues. In today's episode, we speak with Nahal Joshi from the Broadway production of The Cottage in performances at the Hayes Theater in New York City until October 29th. Nihal, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so before we uh, dive into the issues and in the cottage, um, little Nehal was born in uh, born and raised in Virginia. So what was the road like uh, getting to Broadway? How did we get here today? Wow. Um, so I studied biology in college. I studied to be a doctor. I was um, pre-med um, and I had always done theater. I had always had a kind of... Um, I wouldn't say obsessive personality, but I really get into something that I'm into. I was a I was a soccer player from the time I was like five until the time I was sixteen, six days a week. So I get really into things. Um, and while I was in college, I also studied theater as a minor, and uh, I spent a summer abroad in London through the English department studying Shakespeare because I was mm-hmm. really into Shakespeare, and sort of came to theater through straight theater, as they call it, and. Um, I studied the Globe when Mark Rylance was the artistic director there, and I got to do some scenes on the stage with some of the actors who work there regularly. And I was—I remember we were doing Othello, and one of the actors was like, "You could do this for a living if you wanted to do this. You have a lot of natural affinity towards this." Which was like, I guess, the first time I really thought about it. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I kind of immersed myself in theater in a in a real way, like seeing shows pretty much every night. I I, I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in London so that I could afford to see shows. And then when I came back, I really started getting, I guess the bug sort of started taking over and biology sort of started getting camped down. And when I left school, I, I got into the Actors Theater Louisville's apprentice program. So I went there for a year to pretty much study my craft and immerse myself in the world of being an actor. And I think I learned more from actually doing it than sitting in a classroom and doing it. And then I left there and I went to where I'm from, which is right outside Washington, D.C., which has a great theater scene. And I was an actor there for about four years, sort of just really learning my chops. And then I, I met a girl while I was there, um, and she, she took me to New York. And within like six months, uh, she got me with her agent, and I had an audition for a show called Three Penny Opera, a revival about with Alan Cumming and Sydney Lopper and Hannah Gaspar and a bunch of other people. And I somehow ended up booking a swing spot in that. And that was sort of my Broadway debut and started me on my journey. And I've been fairly lucky since that. So I'm pretty blessed to say that I'm just an actor and a 
pretty much all I do. And primarily just an actor in theater. Mm. Is more sort of like on-screen work anywhere on your radar? Or is theater really where you want to stay in Delvin? I love theater because it's so much more of an actor's medium. You know, on-screen work, you're so much more subjected to what an editor thinks of your performance or what, you know, what an editor needs from your performance or director needs from your performance. Obviously, who doesn't want to do TV and film because you make so much more money doing it? <laughs> right. And theater is kind of a vow of poverty. But I just, you know, there's something about the energy of a live performance, the sort of exchange between an audience quietly, the, like... The great thing about theater is that the thing that we do better than anyone else, better than film and TV, like film and TV can blow things up. They can take you to places you've never been before. They can show you things you've never seen before. But what they can't do is put you in a room with a live person going through an experience. And like every night in a show, you create this little town where everybody's experiencing the same thing at the same time. And it's, it's like one of the most beautiful things you could go through. And so I think I'm addicted to that. And so it's why I never leave theater. So, you know, sort of speaking of that energy with the audience, I mean, with The Cottage, I did get to see it. Um, I think it was about a week and a half ago at this point. And I mean, I haven't laughed that hard in the theater since I saw the play that goes wrong. And it was just so funny. And everyone was just so brilliantly cast. So, I mean, you know, in the best way possible, it felt like during certain moments, someone was trying to get a bigger laugh than the last but without pulling focus you know sometimes there's like that fine line of like okay now you're distracting but like just yeah it just get it got more and more funny as the show goes on it was brilliant so bravo all around to you and everyone involved thank like, you really, such a fun thank experience you. michael mckeon michael mckeon the famous actor came last week and he said something really great he's like i've never seen six actors try to steal the scene from each other so succinctly <laughs> and successfully at the same time yeah <laughs> wonderful but yeah kind of brilliant and, you know, you're working with some heavy sort of comedy and, and theater hitters. I mean, Eric McCormack and Laura Balbani, Lily Cooper, Alex Moffat. So, like, what's it been? What's been the biggest learning experience in in your run with The Cottage? I, I would say that it's really weird to use the word, like, um, just allowing things to happen. You know, just not trying to not trying to put anything on something. And just really, comedy is so democratic. You know, something yeah. is either funny or it's not. That's it. That's why it felt so hard because it is truly, it is truly a meritocracy in that yeah. way. And so little in the world is a meritocracy. Comedy is a meritocracy because people, some people find something funny, some people don't either. But it's either funny or it's not. And as long as the laugh is sort of the ultimate arbiter of whether something stays or not. And so for us, it was just always trying to work on the joke, try to make the joke the best joke possible. And there's a lot of effort in that show. It's actually one of the hardest things I've ever done mm. because of the amount of craft that's involved and in that that is something that looks so spont spontaneous in the moment. Yeah. And so um, really it's just about allowing just and never settling, allowing and never settling. Yeah. Um, I think that was the biggest lesson from the show, just letting it wash over you and letting whatever comes out, come out. Yeah. Just sort of like staying yeah. on your toes because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, with shows like this yeah. that are so physically comedic and lots of props and gags, I'm, and I mentioned the play that goes wrong, has anything gone wrong yet? Has a prop oh, not yeah. worked or something not happened on time? What what's what are the stories there? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, actually one of the greatest things about our show is because it's so prop heavy, things often go wrong. And we have some of the like most distinct and quick adept livers probably on Broadway. 
Um, I'll give you two examples. One is there's a statue of David prop that is also um, has a dual function and as a lighter. Yeah. And um, some nights it doesn't light. And when that happens, Lily Cooper, the brilliant Lily Cooper, will say anything from, well, I guess size really does matter because the, the lighter is on a certain part of the David uh, <laughs> person, um, which you could probably imagine right now as I'm describing it. And uh, another night, she says, wait, wait, he's close. He's almost there. He's just, <laughs> close. He's just there trying to light him uh, at a certain point of his uh, body. Uh, another time is I carry a very large gun in the show. And um, the gun is uh, cartoonish because the show is kind of cartoonish. And also, you know, guns are sensitive in today's society. And so we also wanted to make it a little clowner. So it would take away some of the teeth from it. Um, and I used to, I, I would have to check if the gun was empty at one point of the plot point. And, uh, I would do it by banging it on this pillow on the side of a couch. And one night I went to bang it and the muzzle went flying off through the air and clanked right down stage center. Um, to which I turned to Laura Bell Bundy who was on stage with me and she was in tears laughing about it. And the audience was just cackling at this point. And I turned to her and I said my next line, which is, well, it's empty now for certain. <laughs> the gun was now just like me holding the butt of it. So we have a lot of that. We have a lot of like stuff that goes wrong. And um, it's not meant to go wrong, right. which is actually kind of the best part about it. And you never know. It, it happens a lot in a pop heavy show where things just don't quite work out the way you want them to. And it's really fun to sort of underline the live part of theater that way and just be in the moment and come up with something hilarious because we don't even, the six of us don't even know what's going to happen from night to night. And that's kind of the fun of doing it. Um, I have to give a shout out to um, the Bo understudy, Tony Roach, who went on for the performance that I went to. Um, yeah. You know, un as we know, recently, especially with COVID and, and with so many actors being out of shows, understudies and swings have finally gotten, you know, their flowers when it comes to like, the acknowledgement of how much work they put in even if they're not in the show every night and he was just fantastic like it was you know obviously as an actor i, I know that you know understudies are just as brilliant and talented as and trained and, and disciplined as the the principal performer but just completely flawless with such and again such an intimidating like scale of a show so funny and over the top so like um yeah i just wanted to give a quick shout out to to the understudies Tony's fantastic. This is our second show together. We did Flying Over Sunset mm. together um, last year, which was the first show I did after COVID, which of course has its own uh, issues and had its own, you know, things around it. Um, but Tony's an incredible performer and he brings himself to it. And the great thing about it also when an understudy goes on for the rest of us is that it, it brings a completely new energy to it. Mm. And so we're playing off a completely new energy. It's like having a different instrument and a symphony all of a sudden. And it's really fun and he's so great. And, you know, it's hard for these. He's going in for Eric McCormick, you know, <laughs> and the audience knows that Eric McCormick isn't in the show that night. So there's a double burden on him when he goes on and he, he carries himself with such grace. He's a, a word around Eric McCormick often. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's wonderful and really a special performer. Yeah. And um, going back a bit sort of to your uh, training days um you know with a lot of post-college or post-conservatory uh actors a lot of times they feel that they're sort of just like thrust into the world without any 
sort of guidance like, okay you've got like a kill if you don't feel like a musical theater major you've got great dance training you've got um uh you know um you've got a great audition book you've got your monologues you've got everything prepared for an audition but now the next step is getting the audition and sort of getting the ball rolling on your career so what advice do you have for any actors who maybe feel stuck getting that ball rolling man it is so hard you know the world is so much different now than when we were when i was coming up um but you know i i tried to make as many friends as possible that's sort of how i did it yeah. a lot of my work recently has come from just me being friends with people and them liking my work enough to be like hey do you want to do this so it's not a lot of auditioning stuff i mean the stuff the thing i i hear regularly now is that people can create their own content because there's youtube like you're doing here there is um instagram and people have followers and people get jobs for the amount of followers they have yeah. i i think creating your work is really important i think knowing what's happening out there is really important i mean i used to go to drama books and buy a book that told me what every uh theater in the country was doing in their season and i would see shows and then I would know what parts I would write for. And then I would just try to pound my team, not pound them, but I would yeah. say, hey, this theater is doing this show. I would love to be seen for it. Or I would or I would reach out directly if I could. So it's really about being your biggest advocate because, you know, you are your business in this business. And so you have to be the one who is your best marketer. You have to be your biggest critic. You have to be your biggest fan. And so I would say that... Um, you have to invest in yourself, make sure you're paying yourself and make sure you're investing in yourself. And that's probably the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. But it is hard. I understand that, you know, yeah, it's hard. And, you know, with so much sort of like misinformation, there's a lot of like, you know, acting career gurus out there and whatnot, sort of just spreading nonsense or giving advice that's like completely against sort of rule of thumb these days is there a misconception that you've discovered about the entertainment industry that has sort of been like debunked like something you went in thinking like okay this is what everyone says this is what it's like and then you're in and you realize that's not the case at all i mean i i would say that usually it's that the best way to find best way to be successful is to find some groove some track to sort of fall into and that's the way to do it like if you're the maybe you're the heavy set funny guy or you're the the ditzy ingenue girl you know using whatever track was has been used before that that i would say is not actually true anymore i think individuality is much more appreciated in the world today and um you being you i think is your best way at having a successful career and i think that's the thing that i is the thing that i I, I was most shocked by. I always thought when I started out that I had to be a certain type. Yeah. I think type is getting disintegrated now. I'm really grateful for that, actually. I think mm -hmm. that that's really beautiful. You know, you become the type, actually. You know, yeah. there's that old joke of, you know, like they talk about an actor's career. You know, they say, get me a, get me a, a, a you know, somebody, get me a Jeff Daniels, then get me a guy who's like Jack Daniels, then get me a young Jeff Daniels, you know, in, in in all of that you have to be jeff daniels so like you should just be you and maybe people will be looking for the next you essentially someday yeah there was um i forget who it was um one of my favorite podcasts is um um smartless with uh, jason mm -hmm. bateman sean hayes and uh will arnett and i think it was when they had tina fey on they were talking about um 
uh, Paula Pell, who has been, you know, in the comedy scene for such a long time. And she's in Girls 5 Eva and she's done a bunch of projects with Tina and with Amy Poehler. And uh, Tina joked saying, yeah, Paula finally grew into her type because when we were younger, she'd put on the gray wig or play the older, the older funny woman. And now she is the older funny woman. And now she's working like it's just sort of not to say waiting it out, but sometimes that's what we have to do as actors. You just, oh, you're finally in that sort of desirable spot, not to use that word, but, you know, spot in terms of what the industry is looking for. You know, the industry shifts yeah, I mean, every that 10 happened years, to me. you know? That happened to me. Like, you know, when I was younger, everyone said, you'll work forever. You'll work a lot when you're older. And I was like, oh God, really? I was like, can I just work now? <laughs> why and, when I'm older? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why when I'm older? And what does that even mean? And yeah. like, now I've done six Broadway shows in the last seven years. Mm. So I don't know what I'm doing different. I don't think I'm doing anything different. It's just some sort of weird magical alchemy that has happened and has allowed me to work. You know, David Mamet, who is a crazy person, but he said something really <laughs> great that I, I hold on to a lot, which is um, you when it comes to talent in this business, you either have it or you don't. And it's not a prerequisite for a career. So why worry about it? I love that. And I love that, yeah. actually. You know, I love so little about what he says nowadays necessarily, but I really love that. And it, it, I, it sticks in my bones. Yeah. That, you know, as, as you said, he says lots of things that you're just like, hmm. but that was a good one. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. you know, that, that's definitely, yeah. definitely true. Um, you know, if anything, you know, you mentioned sort of like meritocracy before and, and comedy is very much that, as you said, but the industry isn't necessarily that it's not, you know, roles don't go to the most talented actor, the most hardworking person. It just goes to who fits the role best. And that's not always talent fit. You know, talent is one part of fitting the role. So there's just, there's so much, you know, things in there. It's the look, it's, do you look like too many, I hear stories of like, you know, I listen to lots of um, retrospective podcasts on, on films and whatnot. And they said like, Oh, they, forced this actress to dye her hair because they didn't want two blondes in the movie it's like what why like what they just that old hollywood standard is like so frustrating i, which I hate i hate this phrase the best person for the job gets the job i actually despise that and people say it still say it a lot and i think it's wrong mm. because what we do is so subjective and trying to put something ob objective like an objective rule on something that is so subjective right. what we do as an art form I feel like it's dangerous and uh, destructive. And so I don't ever believe I'm the best person for the job, even in the cottage. I don't think I'm the best actor that could have probably played my part necessarily, but I am the actor playing the part. Right. And so I'm going to do my best doing it. And I'm going to do my best knowing that I got the job with 10 other people who could probably do it just as well as I do. And that's what gets me up and gets me to, to keep working on it every day. That's how you can do... You know, people often ask me how you do like two years of the show, which I still don't know how I did it. But the way you do it is that you you're constantly working on your craft. You're constantly working on your part. You're constantly, you know, trying to find new things, trying to be in the moment, trying to express yourself that day as mm -hmm. fully and truthfully as possible. And, um, you know, this whole idea of the best person for a job, like I said, I don't I think people should erase that from their mind, mm -hmm. you know. You are a valuable person. You know, I, I talk about this in my acting classes sometimes, and this statistic is not, a, this stat is not totally correct, but it's something like you are a one in 2.6 billion chance of being on the earth. One in 2.6 billion. 
Like oh. the last Powerball lottery, I think you had like a one in 438 million chance of winning it, and that was over a billion dollars. And so just think about that. You are a four times larger odd of being on this earth. So why wouldn't you express yourself fully? Why wouldn't you share your voice? That is how unique you are in the universe. And I think that's like a miraculous thing. And we all deserve then to express ourselves as fully and as honestly as we possibly can. And truthfully, it's just about trying to find your way to do that as an actor. And I challenge anyone who's listening to this to do that because yeah. that's what I do every day. And um, before we go, um, sort of looking ahead, is there anything you haven't done yet in terms of like genre or anything like that that you really, really want to dive into? I mean, I think I'm, I, I, I'm, I've been doing comedy a lot recently and I've done drama. I've done everything. I'm really lucky. Like I said, I've gotten to do everything. I've gotten to do big roles, small roles. I've really gotten to put my stamp on things. What I really love to do is take things that people know like I did this version of Les Mis in Dallas that was this sort of like they call it Occupy Wall Street Les Mis, which was very popular for a short time. And I really got to take something that people knew really well and just turn it and show them a different side of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to continue doing that. And I think I'm ready to do something serious again, yeah. <laughs> which I think requires a little different effort and sometimes a little less effort because comedy requires a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, I think I'm ready to just sort of relax into something and just really try to express myself as I am today in a different way. And so that's what I just want to keep doing, you know, and maybe maybe get to play a big role on Broadway mm -hmm. or do a film. It'd be fun to do a film, I think. I think maybe to see what I do for a living, which is so much about being in the moment. Um, if I could do that and make that translate to a film, I would love that. Yeah. And really having the same moment over and over, take after take, angle after angle. <laughs> it was such a yeah. yeah, it was such a tricky transition when I started doing more TV oriented stuff. I was like, wow, they do they take forever to, <laughs> you know, and yeah. the time it could take you to you know memorize a scene, they've done one angle of <laughs> of an entire yeah, scene. It's so deceptive. It's so deceptive. Like you know, you do a scene and you're like, the other person might not even be there. You know, they, yeah. if they're doing the if they're doing the shot over his or her or their shoulder, they might not even be there. So you're it's like you're sometimes acting with a stand-in or with just a spot in the next to a camera. And yeah. I always thought that that's crazy. It's so weird how we make films to deceive people in a lot of ways. And now this, <laughs> I mean, you see commercials. I think about this in commercials when I watch commercials all the time, and you see a couple, and you're like, I always think knowing what I know now that like basically you meet your couple at the callback maybe and then you see them again <laughs> at the actual dating and then you're expected to have this whole like backstory that seems to play out in seconds yeah. it's wild how deceptive TV and film is but uh, yeah I would love to see if you could make that translate it's definitely sort of a not a work in progress but just definitely something that you know takes a lot of time but once you're in it you're in it I feel like you know by the time I had done a couple episodes of this one show um by like the third one it felt like okay we're back you know it's like we're at summer camp it's like oh look at all these <laughs> folks i've worked with before and and you know getting to explore a little bit more it's been that's that's really really cool experience but it's like you I know that's with, the fun thing about yeah. that right like you get to like when you get to do a part like that like if you're marishka hargate on law and order you know that character you know benson so well that literally it's your bone it's in your bones 
And that that would be really, really fun, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that would be so much fun. Like like probably thinking about those those uh, Elizabethan actors who played like Burbage, who played Falstaff for so long in his life. You know, he probably knew Falstaff so well that like Falstaff just was him. In the same way that no, I've just compared Richard Burbage to um, uh, to uh, Mariska Harkate, which I'm choice, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, uh, I you know like I think that'd be so much fun, don't you think? To yeah. be able to play a character that long. I mean, it, I'm sure it has its drawbacks. You know, our director is Jason Alexander, and everyone knows him as George Costanza, so I'm sure that there are drawbacks that way. But at the same time, how beautiful is it to be compared with like that way? And uh, what would you say is the best advice you've ever gotten? I would say once you get a part, stop auditioning for it. That's the first thing mm. that uh, comes to mind. You know, you you, um, you forget that very quickly. Once you get in a room, you, you you know, you're often trying to prove yourself. I still was, even in this room, I was trying to prove myself. But really, you have to stop auditioning for a part once you get the part. Yeah. It's yours. Make it yours. You know, they want to, people want to see you thrive. They don't want to see you they don't want to see you ask for permission oftentimes. I mean, in this world, we, we need to get better at asking for permission for things. But on the stage, you should be more willing to ask for forgiveness than um, permission when it comes to your craft. Now, when it comes to dealing with other actors, obviously, permission is very important. But when it comes to expressing your own art, you should be, you should be more willing to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. Yeah. And uh, in 10 words yeah. or less, what advice would you give to a young actor? To thine own self be true. Wow, love that. Shakespeare. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we, it is us. We build our whole careers on us. Our, our industry, if you want to become a business, like that's what, you know, there's a difference between celebrities and actors in a lot of ways. You know, celebrities are actors, but celebrities are also their own business. And they, you know, the way they've done it is by being themselves singularly. You know, Sean Penn is Sean Penn, like uh, Will Ferrell is Will Ferrell. Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep's probably a little bit more chameleon-like than maybe those other two, but <laughs> but like, but like, you have to find your way through you, and you have to find your way authentically through you. You know, like people get jobs and they they go on YouTube, especially revivals and stuff, and then they'll watch whoever did it first and try to copy them. Don't do that. Yeah, do it your way. Figure out figure out how it speaks to you, and express yourself, and be willing to be wrong. Awesome. Nihal, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with us. It's such a pleasure chatting thank with you. you. And again, congrats thank on you. such a great run on the show. Um, the cottage running until... podcast. Yeah, thank this you. <laughs> I feel like I'm so serious. I didn't know. So I'm, I'm, I hope people found at least three jokes in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, if you want to see Nehal be hilarious, go see The Cottage on Broadway now at the Hayes Theater. Uh, remind me, running until when? October 29th. And then we go into the vault of the Disney DVDs. <laughs> Back into the ball. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again so much for talking with us about the issues. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Juan. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Actors with Issues on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit our YouTube channel for full video interviews. Actors with Issues is executive produced and hosted by Juan Ayala. See you next time.